welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is our resident Star Wars expert, Paul. Paul, welcome back. Hey, Scott. Good to be back. Well, Paul, here we are, only a couple months away from the highly anticipated premiere of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and we get a new trailer. Yeah, I actually uh, didn't know about this one ahead of time. Usually, uh... We're prepared for it, like when they aired the one during the Olympics, and we were tuned in for three hours watching Michael Phelps win gold medals, <laughs> waiting for the Star Wars trailer to drop. But this one caught me by surprise. I was at work, popped on YouTube, and I saw it among videos that were being recommended to me. And I was like, what is this, another fan trailer or something? And it was the real deal. Yeah. You know, at this point, with us being so close to the movie coming out, I, I figured we already got two teasers, we got a, an official trailer, uh, we had the footage from that Star Wars celebration. I, I figured if we got anything else even beyond that anyway, it would probably be the same scenes kind of recut in some form. You know, they'd call it like TV spot one, two, three, four, whatever. But uh, to my surprise, you know, around the same time I was watching that Logan trailer, uh, I received that text from you telling me that, not only was there a new Rogue One trailer, but it was a trailer filled with a whole bunch of new scenes and new footage. Yeah, it uh, definitely fills in some of the gaps of this, what the story is going to be about. Finally showed Mads Mikkelsen, showed a little more Vader, and just a lot of new scenes. So we figured this new trailer, which is a, a called Official Trailer 2, was worth discussing. And uh, just like our Force Awakens trailer episodes that we did last year... If anything else happens to come across now, between now and the, the release of the movie, we'll just release it as bonus episodes. But uh, for now, this definitely warrants a, an episode in which we discuss and break down this trailer. Alright, so let's get right into this. So we begin with an Imperial shuttle. It's kind of zooming in the atmosphere of a blue planet. And in the, the skies in the background, beyond the clouds, we see these faint rings. I think this is like the first time we've ever seen rings on a planet in a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I believe so, at least in the, um, when thinking about the original trilogy. I, I uh, as you know, have blocked the prequels out of my mind, so <laughs> there may have been a ringed plan in there, I don't know. Well, this is a prequel now. Ah, uh, don't, don't put that tag on it. <laughs> also, the, the music is a little different here. It, it's, uh, you know, the same kind of Star Wars score, but it, it's almost like a synth version of it. Yeah, and, uh... Speaking of the music, and just bring this up now, did you notice on the poster who is the composer for this movie? Oh, who's who's listed? It's uh, Michael Giacchino. I really like his music, and I'm excited that he's doing it. He's most popular for doing the music from the television series Lost. Uh, he did the music for all three new Star Trek movies, Jurassic World, a lot of Disney stuff, Inside Out, Up. Tomorrowland, Zootopia, uh, he did Doctor Strange, and uh, all the Planet of the Apes movies, the newer ones. Mm -hmm. So he had a couple of Mission Impossible movies too, so he has a really good resume. I have a lot of his music in my playlist, and I'm happy that he's doing it. He, he works a lot with J.J. Abrams, so it's kind of funny that while Abrams did Force Awakens, and of course they brought back John Williams for that, he's doing this one. Well, nice. Yeah. It's funny because, yeah, Abrams is kind of taking the helm there 
with like the direction of the franchise. So yeah, I'm probably bringing this guy on that he knows uh, is good at what he does. I, I think I even read that he has a Grammy, an Oscar, and an Emmy. So he's he's one shy of the EGOT. He just has to uh, work on a, a Tony-winning play. And I believe he actually uh, played a stormtrooper in The Force Awakens. Oh, nice. I'm not, I'm not sure what scene, but you know, him and Abrams are buddies, and so J.J. called him up and said, hey, I want to be in the movie. So he also had a cameo as a stormtrooper. Oh, very cool. I do like the music in this trailer, especially toward the end of it. So this scene fades to black, and we open on a scene on a grassy planet, has cloudy skies. Uh, on the left side of the frame, we see what looks to be evaporator. This kind of matches up with, with some shots we saw in earlier teasers and trailers. Uh, from behind, we see the character of Galen Urso stepping forward as an Imperial shuttle lands in the distance. So we can assume this is kind of where Jin grew up with her family. This is also the ringed planet. This is why it looks very unfamiliar to us. I don't think we have a name for this planet yet. I'm assuming it's a new one to the Star Wars universe, but not much to look at. A lot of flat plains, a lot of black soil, and some areas of, of uh, vegetation. Yeah, a lot of grass-covered, craggy-looking mountains. So Galen uh, speaks to Jin, who's just a young girl here, and he says, Jin, whatever I do, and dot, 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 uh, this cuts now to two quick scenes. First, we see a group of death troopers walking, holding their weapons, with these clouds and the fog behind them. Then we cut behind this group to see director Orson Krennic. He's flanked on each side by three of these death troopers, which we learned earlier that uh, these death troopers kind of serve as his personal bodyguards, for lack of a better term. We know that this is Krennic. We see his signature white cape. And in the distance in front of them, we see a row of three evaporators. It almost seems like, you know, hearkening back to A New Hope, you know, this is the, the sign that this is where a homestead is, you know, this is where uh, the, this family gets their moisture from. Although you, you don't think that they would need necessarily evaporators there, you, you think they'd probably get like a waterfall effect coming off those mountains behind them? Yeah, well, at first I assumed these were evaporators, like you said, that typically, you know, they have a similar look and that's what we're familiar with. Yeah. The more I thought about it, and I also, in listening to other people talk about this trailer, I think that that row might be something else. It might be some kind of shield, possibly, because the shuttle parks really far away from his little outpost or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the troopers hike quite a distance across the plane to get to him. So I'm wondering if those might be some type of energy shield generators or something that are protecting the Urso's homestead there and forcing these individuals to come on foot to them. Okay, yeah, that makes much more sense because the only time we've ever seen those similar evaporator-looking structures are on Tatooine in A New Hope and in the original trilogy and then, of course, in the, the prequels and on uh, Jakku with Rey. So you would think they would only need them where it's really dry. So that makes much more sense. So Galen's line to Jin continues, I do it to protect you. Uh, so the whole line is, Jin, whatever I do, I do it to protect you. You understand? So implies that, that Galen is going to be held to do something against his will. Whatever he's doing, maybe it's for the protection of his family. And maybe he, there's some sort of deal struck. Uh, I also heard that uh, there's a, a novelization that kind of tells a little bit of the backstory here. Is that true? Yeah, there's a book being released, I believe, November 15th, 
called Catalyst. It might be called Catalyst, a Rogue One story, but it is a prequel to this movie. It will discuss the relationship between Krennic and Galen Erso. Uh, what I've, I've read about it so far is that Erso and his family were uh, captured by Separatists and Krennic rescued them, and so it may be that Galen feels indebted to him now hmm. and owes him, and that's possibly why he's brought on to, to work on the Death Star project. But there is there is a relationship there. And in the book, it sounds like Jin's mother is present, but obviously we haven't seen any evidence of her being around in this movie, so it'll be interesting to see what happened there with his wife and Jin's mother. I do have a hold placed on that book as soon as it hits the library. I'm hoping to get it and read it before seeing the movie. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that backstory is. Jin's mother is uh, Lyra Urso, played in the movie by Valene Kane. I know we talked, I think, last time uh, about whether she was going to be, like, you know, a relative, perhaps a mother. Uh, the actress is younger than Felicity Jones, so we weren't sure if that was going to be her mom in a flashback, and it seems that that's going to be the case. Although, like you said, she's not around, we don't think, for a lot of the movie, uh, so it doesn't look good. I, I have a bad feeling about this. I've heard that before. <laughs> so as Galen talks to the young Jin, uh, the scene fades into the interior of this white building where, you know, Galen is speaking directly to her and she calmly replies to her father, I understand. And uh, this is the same young girl we saw running over rocks in a, an earlier teaser or an earlier footage. We assumed that this was the young Jin Erso fleeing some sort of danger. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much exactly what we're going to get here. So we next cut to the middle of that grassy field. As you mentioned, the shuttle parks at a distance. They kind of meet halfway. And uh, Galen and Krennic are face-to-face. -face. Uh, we get a couple of quick cuts to their faces during this meeting. Galen seems very concerned. Krennic, though, in kind of in true imperial fashion, seems really bored <laughs> and, like, you know, all blasé about this meeting. It's almost as if he perceives him as a lower person, uh, although you, we know that there is a backstory here, but it is kind of funny to see that that expression on his face. Reminds me very much of Tarkin. Mm -hmm. So now as the music gets more tense, we also cut to the face of the young Jin, and she looks like she's crouched down in the grass. Perhaps she's viewing this meeting. Yeah, whether that's happening right then or a little bit later on, after she's being chased and is hiding from them, I, I believe, I don't... I think it was ever in a trailer, but I think in there was a picture of one of these death troopers holding a stormtrooper doll, and it looked like it was on this planet. So it's quite possible that Jin has a stormtrooper doll that they recover when they're searching for her, but she somehow escapes this elite squatter, but don't get her. That's funny. It's, it's just like uh, Ray having the, the doll of the X-Wing pilot. So now with a kind of a percussive musical stinger, we immediately cut to the present Jin Erso, played by Felicity Jones, as she wakes up from a dream, sitting in an Imperial prison cell. So cutting to another shot, we see that she shares the cell with an alien lying on its side. It kind of has like tentacles coming out of its face. And uh, through the bars of the cell door, we see a stormtrooper walk by. It was a nice touch. The, the cell door has kind of like cutouts of those long rounded rectangles to make bars. It kind of fits that imperial motif, you know? Mm -hmm. So what do you think, Paul? Do you, do you think we'll start with Jin as a child and move forward in time? Or do you think that these would be like flashback scenes? 
I'm personally hoping that it's the former option, that the movie starts out with her as a child, and then it says, you know, 12 years later, 15 years later, whatever it is. I myself would prefer that to flashbacks, but either way, it'll tell the story that needs to be told, and I'm sure it'll be handled well. I think just myself, I would prefer it that way. Thinking back to watching Batman v Superman and all the dreams and flashbacks and everything that they threw in that movie that completely took me out of it. <laughs> I don't want I don't want more of that hopping around in time and stuff, but we'll see. Yeah, and it was interesting as we kind of talked about in earlier episodes with The Force Awakens where they kind of wanted to give us a little bit of backstory on Rey, just kind of give us little pieces of that that mystery of her origin, and you can't really do flashbacks if you're trying to fit the same style that Lucas did for the original trilogy, so the only way they were able to do that is through those Force visions that Rey got when she touched, you know, the lightsaber of Luke, and so, it, you know, it's kind of interesting here, like, how are they going to do it? But they've said that Rogue One and the rest of these anthology movies are going to be kind of separate and outside, even though it's in the shared universe. Maybe they can take a little more liberties with how they tell the story. I know there's not going to be an opening crawl, as they said, but yeah, some things will be the same. Some things will be uh, very different. So the next piece of music picks up, and from here we fade to black and we open on, of course, the Lucasfilm logo. Uh, We next open on the busy streets of Jeddah, where the camera slowly pans up to a massive Star Destroyer. It's hovering above this city. As we saw in the previous trailer, this city is kind of built up on a large plateau. And it gives us a good sense of scale, because we see a few TIE fighters flying in the space between them. Yeah, this is no doubt a scene on Jeddah. Just a different shot from the street looking up. We've seen many different views of this city on Jeddah that has this Star Destroyer hovering over it. Yeah, very nicely done. So from here, we cut to a controlled explosion. It blows up a a metal door on some sort of, uh, I'm guessing it's an Imperial controlled vehicle, uh, and a stormtrooper gets blown back from this door explosion. Uh, We see a group of rebels rush forward to the captive Jyn Erso, and a rebel says something to her. I I couldn't really make it out. It's something like, you want to get out of here, or I thought it was like, where to get ya, or something like that. But basically, they're going to free her, and we see them freeing her from her handcuffs. Yeah, I assume that this is some kind of a prisoner transport vehicle that's being attacked by the rebel soldiers here, rather than a prison that's being broken into. Yeah, that would make more sense. The rebels would probably have better success freeing a prisoner from a ship than actually trying to infiltrate some sort of you know heavily armed base. So they were waiting for the exact right time. Because when it zooms in on her hands and the soldier unlocking her, she's got handcuffs on and they're chained to the floor. And obviously that's not how they'd be sitting in a prison. So yeah. That, that's what tells me that they were being transported somewhere. Might have something to do with uh, those shots we saw in the early trailers in the streets of Jeddah and those tanks. So this next cuts to an overhead shot of the uh, desert plains of Jeddah with uh, a ship, I believe this is the U-Wing, flying over some rock formations. But, look a little closer at these rock formations. This took me a a couple times to see. But they are in the shape of a Jedi in profile, wearing a robe and holding a lightsaber. I I totally missed this on my first viewing. Yeah, it took me about three or four times watching it. Because every time I was just focusing on that starship flying, 
And then I looked at the whole picture and I was like, oh, wait a second here. There's a, a hooded Jedi there, you know, with the standard Jedi robe. And uh, you see two hands and you see the broken lightsaber blade. It's in at least two pieces. Mm-hmm. It's definitely been worn and weathered. And you wonder if at one time this was standing upright and toppled down. Yeah. But it definitely has a very cool look to it. Yeah. In fact, the only reason why it caught my notice is I saw the fingers that were holding the, the actual lightsaber. And I thought they might be like ribs or something. I, I was looking closely at it on a, another viewing because I, I was wondering if it was some sort of fossil or something and I was trying to make it out and then I'm looking at it I'm like oh these are hands that was very cool Ni- very nice touch so no doubt this is Jeddah which is of course uh, a place where all the Jedis are supposed to make a pilgrimage and uh, you know there's a, a temple there and and those in there are very reverent of the force so this all connects so next in voiceover we get a line from Mon Mothma saying our rebellion is all that remains to push back the Empire. This cuts to a scene of Jin. She's in some sort of vehicle with like a dirty or dusty window. I think we've seen this pretty much in all of the other teasers and trailers. And then we see her being led across the busy floor at the Rebel base on Yavin 4. And, you know, just like the other times, we see X-Wings, X-Wing pilots, droids, rebels, all kinds of ships. People walking around and we see those ancient temple structures in the background through that open bay door. Yeah, the shot of Jin in some kind of vehicle or transport looking out the window. I almost wonder if that is right after she's rescued. Because the way she has her hands, I believe she might still have those handcuffs on. Because we, as we saw in earlier trailers, she's still handcuffed when she's brought to the rebel base and brought before Mon Mothma and the others. Oh, okay. So that kind of answers the question, you know, why are they bringing this individual with handcuffs on, you know, in, into their presence to then ask to, like, lead this group of rebels on this very important mission. Maybe they're not the ones that put those handcuffs on, but they were still on from her time in the Imperial prison. So next, Mon Mothma continues speaking to Jin, saying, I think you might be able to help us. And we're in that control center at the Yavin 4 base with the illuminated green displays. Uh, Cassian Andor steps over to Jin, and he asks, When was the last time you were in contact with your father? And uh, Jin, kind of not fully understanding why she was even brought in and what's going on, she replies, What is this? As we get a shot of Mon Mothma, as she kind of like looks up at Jin from across the table. Yeah, more shots. Uh, I think we've seen different scenes from this encounter in all the trailers, different dialogue each time, but basically this is when uh, she meets Mon Mothma and the other leaders of the rebellion here, and they're talking to her about this super weapon that the Empire has created and the role that her father has played in it and what they want her to do about it. Yeah, and it makes a lot more sense now that we know You know, she was just brought in because of her connection to Galen. We find out he is her father and the scientist behind this Death Star project. So this is, uh, you know, kind of the scene, like you said, we've seen it many, many times. Kind of put it all together here. And uh, they're not afraid of letting us see what's going on in this scene anyway. So we next cut to a large base. I I don't think it's a ship. I think it's a base. And it's amidst this dark, craggy landscape. This dark, rainy planet that we've seen before. I believe we saw it getting attacked by rebels in the previous trailer. And uh, we get a distant shot of some sort of like extended platform coming from it. 
and there are stormtroopers and imperial officials standing on it. I know we, we were talking about it last time, Paul. We weren't sure, or at least I wasn't sure, if it was maybe Jeddah at night? Because it does have those rock formations. But uh, rather than having a, an arid climate, as you pointed out, it, it is very, you know, wet and rainy there. Yeah, I definitely think this is a totally separate planet from Jeddah. And I, I don't think it's the other tropical planet, Scarif, either. I believe this is probably a third new planet that the group will be visiting in their exploits. So we're going to have like five worlds <laughs> in this movie. So cutting to a closer shot on this platform, we see Galen Ursa walk towards director Orson Krennic. Uh, this time, in this meeting, their facial expressions are much different. Uh, some time has passed, and now Galen kind of has that stoic face, and Krennic seems a little concerned. Yeah, I'm curious what's going on here. I'm wondering if the Empire has found out about Galen doing something he shouldn't have. And I believe it was the international trailer. We got some extra dialogue from Jin's conversation with Mon Mothma where they actually said that her father was sending them information mm. about the Death Star. So whether the uh, Imperials found out about that, I guess now would be an okay time to bring out that many people are speculating that with so much involvement in the design of the Death Star, or at least the, the super laser, because it's believed that that's particularly what Galen Erso was involved with, was that super weapon, the laser, mm -hmm. the Death Star. And it's speculated by many that he's the one responsible for that exhaust port in the Death Star that is a very convenient way to blow it up with a precisely located <laughs> proton torpedo shot. <laughs> yes. So if that's the case, you wonder if at some point in this movie it's going to be discovered that he put this weakness into the design and he's going to have to answer for that, whether it's to Krennic or Vader himself. Which is a brilliant addition, because, you know, that's been a criticism since the 70s, is you're like, oh, okay, there's this one spot, of course, they had to have this one spot of vulnerability. And, uh, yeah, I like the fact that they're possibly, you know, if this is true, possibly addressing this and saying, no, yeah, it, it was put there on purpose to be so easy. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, it would really just wrap everything up nicely and fit together perfectly, I think. Yeah, clean up Lucas's mess. So as this face-to-face -face meeting takes place, in voiceover, Mon Mothma says, it appears he is critical to the development of a superweapon. So that's, you know, like what you were talking about before. It's been assumed, anyway, that Galen Urso developed energy from a kyber crystal, I guess? Which is, you know, yeah. how the lightsabers work, but in a larger scale. Yeah, I forget exactly the wording that was used, but when I was reading about that Catalyst book coming out, it talked about the sciences or whatever that uh, Ursa was involved in, and it was specifically about energy. Yeah. So he was hoping that they were going to use this for good, and obviously the Empire has other ideas. So this quickly cuts back to the scene of Jin at Yavin 4, as she looks worried, and it fades to black. So we next cut to a really cool shot of the Death Star. It's slowly rising above a planetary atmosphere, uh, possibly Scarif, I'm, I'm assuming so. Yeah, I really like this shot. You see a lot of white clouds, and the Death Star's slightly distorted because of the atmosphere of this planet that they've done. Yeah. Man, the Death Star looks amazing every shot in this movie. Well, I 
mean, how hard is it to mess up a gray orb? (laughs) (laughs) So as we see this, we cut to Jin aboard a ship saying to Cassian, if my father built this thing, we need to find him. And if you look closely, if you can see out a window of this starship, and it seems like this starship is traveling at light speed while this conversation is taking place. Yeah, we see them jump to light speed a couple of times. Uh, in the last trailer, we see it used as kind of an escape. I, I don't think it's going to be at this point where they're saying this. So after this line, we cut around the ship to various characters. Uh, we see Bodhi Rook kind of looking over, then to Baze Malbus asking, how many do we need? And we also get a, a look at Chirrut Imwe smiling. Uh, up to this point, we kind of only seen him very stoic and stone-faced, very much looking forward to seeing his character in action. Yeah, it's uh, quite the motley crew they bring together here. A lot of different backgrounds, different personalities. It'll be interesting to see how they all interact with each other and accomplish the mission. So from here, we cut to a scene we saw previously of Cassian and Jin taking off from the rebel base at Yavin 4. I believe they're in a U-Wing. That's the name of this vehicle? Yes. And so in our next shot, which is possibly in the interior of this ship, because I'm not sure who's in there when they take off. I'm assuming uh, K2SO, which is Cassian's droid, is with them. Uh, Possibly Bodhi Rook is with them too? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's hard to tell because we get a lot of ship interiors that we're unfamiliar with. I would assume Bodhi Rook is with them, but when you look at it, I'm not sure how many passengers that ship can hold. But anyway, our next shot, possibly in the interior of this ship, we see uh, K2SO says to Cassian, you know, they're requesting a call sign. And Bodhi looks over and says, it's, um, Rogue. Rogue One. (laughs) And I thought of you (laughs) the first time I heard this line. uh, As our listeners don't know yet, we like to point out every time a movie's title is said in the movie. (laughs) It's very exciting. Someone actually compiled several instances of this into a YouTube video. That's pretty funny to watch, but I believe this will be the first time that a Star Wars movie does this. You know, I thought the same thing, Paul, and then I actually went back and watched the other movies just to see. It turns out every Star Wars movie does have a line of dialogue with the episode's title. (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah, you want to hear it? Sure. Okay, so in episode four, you know, Leia says, help me, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope. Obi-Wan kind of waves his hand in dismissal, and he's like, yeah, get a new hope. And then the camera zooms in on Luke's face. Oh, okay. In episode five, you know, the, there's the rebel base on Hoth, and during the battle, Han stops uh, John Ratzenberger's character in the hallway, and he asks, you know, why is this happening? We struck the Empire. And John Ratzenberger's character stops, and he turns to him, and he's like, don't you know? The uh, Empire strikes back. No, this is true, don't laugh. In episode six, Emperor Palpatine says to some Imperial captain, he's like, he's like, tell Vader to return. Then he turns to Vader and says, of the Jedi, I have no concern. So like Lucas got a little clever with that one, but if you match him up. Uh, episode one, it's when the Jedis are rescuing everyone from the palace on Naboo and the group is like confronted by Darth Maul. C.O. Bibble, you know, the guy with the white beard, his, yeah. It's when his eyes bug out with CGI. It's kind of like Large Marge from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but without the claymation. Mm-hmm. And then he points and screams to Qui-Gon. And he's like, ah, it's the Phantom Menace. <laughs> uh, in episode two, it's when Mace Windu jumps down into the arena on Geonosis. 
he kind of dusts off his shoulders and he looks directly at the camera and he says, time to start the attack of the clones. And then the battle starts. The sad thing about it is these lines of dialogue would have fit right in with the rest of the dialogue of those movies. (laughs) This is true. What are you talking about? This is real. In episode three, it's in a scene I totally forgot about. Uh, It's when Anakin is killing the younglings, and he's about to kill the young John Ratzenberger's character, but he's able to get away, and as he's running out, Anakin yells out, This is the Revenge of the Sith! And then he's like, Never forget, the Empire always strikes back. (laughs) Which is a really nice, you know, foreshadowing of his line to Han years and years later. Uh And then finally, it's in episode seven, which, it was in that scene, I'm sure you remember, Paul, it's General Hux and Captain Phasma were kind of arguing back and forth, and Hux is like, the Force falls asleep, and Phasma keeps saying, the Force awakens, and then after a while, she reverses it, and she's like, the Force falls asleep, and then without thinking, Hux yells back, the Force awakens, and then Phasma laughs and says, yeah, I completely agree, and you know, Hux gets all mad, and he like, crumples his hat and throws it on the ground. I I can't believe that. After, like, hundreds of times of watching Star Wars in my life, I don't remember any of those lines of dialogue. You gotta go back. They're very, very subtle. I'll do that after this podcast. I'm a little disappointed in you right now, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) So this Rogue One line isn't that bad. Yeah. But in all seriousness, Gareth Edwards was asked about the title Rogue One uh, before this trailer, of course, because, you know, we now know it's a call sign. But they asked, you know, like, what is the true meaning of it? And he said, well, you know, it could refer to the squadron, kind of like we've seen gold and red, but it also could refer to Jin's personality, and also that this movie is kind of separate from the rest of the episodes, so it is kind of the rogue one. Mm-hmm. So just kind of an, an interesting triple meaning to the, to the title of the movie. But now we know it's the call sign for the U-Wing. <laughs> so back to the trailer, we next see Cassian making the jump to light speed. And as the music swells, we get a brief silhouette of Darth Vader. It's in the reflection of uh, a large red planetary display on that very shiny black floor. Yeah, this is probably what we uh, saw a glimpse of in that cell phone footage (laughs) from, what was that? Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, that was released right after that other video with some behind-the-scenes footage. And so this cuts to Orson Krennic, uh, quite animated, uh, as he says to Darth Vader, the power we're dealing with here is immeasurable. And it's like, oh boy, I got a bad feeling about this too. You know, usually when people are trying to tell Vader what's what, it never works out. Yeah, if I were a betting man, I'd put money down on Vader either replying with a line about how much stronger the Force is, or a little bit of a Force choke, (laughs) Krennic. Yeah, I I mean, we don't see or hear anything about Krennic in the next movies, you know, in continuity. And uh, we see in those movies, the original trilogy, how disposable some of these uh, directors and admirals and everything are. So yeah, does not bode well for Krennic. Or most of the characters in this movie. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting. And of course, they're being uh, very quiet about that as they should be. The only ones we've seen in trailers that we know will survive this movie are, I believe, Darth Vader and Mon Mothma. Yeah, pretty much. Now, just on a side note here, there were rumors, uh, I don't know if you heard any of these, Paul, that Hayden Christensen was going to reprise his role as Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been reported that that is not true. 
Uh, of course, we all know it's been said for a while now, James Earl Jones is back. Um, of course, why why wouldn't you bring him back to, to do the voice of Vader once again? But uh, it's also been said that a variety of large-framed performers will play Darth Vader, including Welsh actor Spencer Lee Wilding. Uh, I looked this guy up. He's listed at six foot seven. So that's, yeah, that's perfect to play Vader. So no, no Hayden Christensen. Or should I say, no Hayden Christensen. <laughs> so uh, anyway, in the trailer, as Krennic is saying his lines to Vader, we get another great shot of the Death Star. Uh, we see kind of like three TIE fighters flying in formation towards it. It's another uh, new shot. And we get a couple of quick shots around the interior of the Death Star. Uh, it's kind of like that bridge area, that control center. We see a group of officers gathered in the room with Krennic in front of this large screen. Uh, this screen we've seen before, and here it has the image of a beige-colored planet. Which we probably will assume is Jetta. Yeah. I mean, kind of just putting the pieces together. This is probably the, the officials kind of gathered together to witness the destruction of Jeddah, or at least destruction of part of it. Mm-hmm. So we next cut back to the uh, control center at Yavin 4, as all of the rebel officials are gathered together around a hologram of the Death Star being projected from the center of a table, and uh, they are very much distressed by what they are seeing. A very similar Star Wars shot. We've seen things like this before in Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, where everyone's gathered together discussing their battle plans. They've got a uh, holograph of the Death Star hovering in the middle of the table there that they're all looking at. And uh, during this scene, there's a a woman, she's kind of dressed in like a golden robe and a head covering, and she speaks out saying, if the Empire has this type of power, what chance do we have? And uh, this is a a yet undefined character. I believe this is Eunice Olumide, who is a a UK model. Uh, I believe she's a television presenter as well. There was, a, there was an interview with her, I want to say in February, where she mentioned that she was going to be in the movie, but she said that she didn't have any lines, and there was a, a scene of her running from a tank, and she then she became some sort of rebel leader. So I, I, I'm guessing, you know, there was a lot of reshoots and everything. So for her to say that she didn't have any lines, I'm guessing that maybe they kind of reshot this and gave her lines as a rebel leader. But we don't have the name of this character yet. We don't know much about her. So this immediately cuts to a guy that has no chance on Jetta as a, an ATST blasts him in the face as it walks down the street. Yeah, you're not coming back from that. No. <laughs> we also see uh, stormtroopers kind of at the feet of the walker, advancing with it. In the bodies of people dressed in black among the burning wreckage, these people don't look like they're dressed as rebels. Uh, maybe they're just people kind of defending that area that live on Jetta. Seems like they're kind of wearing coats that are similar to the one Cassian is wearing when we see him on Jeddah. So, although Jeddah is a desert planet, it's uh, quite possible that it's not the hottest of planets mm-hmm. that Tatooine is, and they might have to wear some winter coats on that planet. And so, it's possible that these are rebels or maybe just some kind of local resistance on the planet. From here, we get additional scenes of fighting on the streets of Jeddah, including an explosion that launches a couple of people in the air. And uh, we see Jin and Cassian avoiding blaster fire on the streets. We, you know, have seen many scenes like this throughout all of the teasers and other trailer. Yeah. Which, before we go any further, can I just make a prediction? Yeah, go ahead. If that ATST is going to be destroyed, 
I'm hoping it's done so by someone jumping off of a rooftop onto the top of it and then opening the hatch and tossing a bomb inside or something. <laughs> because it's going down this street and there's buildings on either side of it and that's just what I envision happening. Someone just like hopping on top like like Chewie did in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as long as there's no Ewok intervention, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> So next, the music slows down and we fade to black. A fading in, we see the legs of Forrest Whitaker's character, Saw Gerrera, as he steps toward camera. And, you know, we've heard rumors that he was possibly missing a leg. Uh, here it's confirmed. We see he has, you know, like cybernetic legs or a robotic right leg anyway. And he's walking with a cane or a staff. Yeah, it seems like both legs are robotic. The yeah. left one is a little bulkier and the right one is slimmer. Perhaps a, a newer model. Maybe he left. He lost the left one first, and the right one second. I was hoping it would be the the foot of a battle droid from like Phantom Menace. <laughs> it kind of looks like it. That would be a really nice touch. I don't know. That would be a nice touch. <laughs> At least he's not getting around on like the spider-like legs that they gave Darth Maul <laughs> in the cartoon. Yeah, it's a little inefficient, I think. <laughs> so this uh, leads into that scene. Uh, where Saw and Jin meet. We, we've kind of seen clips of that in various forms. Uh, although Saw has more hair here, he doesn't have a shaved head. That indicates that this was done in reshoots, because our first look at Saw was with a shaved head, and uh, whatever happened in that scene was scrapped when they kind of changed the direction of the film. Right. Uh, here we, we hear Jin say, We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. Uh, this line, I I'm guessing it's not from her scene with Saw, but rather like when she's addressing her fellow rebels in a carrier ship. I'm, I'm guessing this is going to happen before their mission on Scarif, because they already have some of the people from Jeddah with them, like Baze and Chirrut. Actually, I think they did a really good job here splicing a bunch of different scenes together, but I think this is directly after that woman that you were talking about, the UK model, mm -hmm. says, what chance do we have? Because you see Jin standing there at that table, and then directly behind her, you see, I forget his name, the guy with the goggles. Oh, Bodhi Rook. Yeah, you see him standing behind Jin. Uh-huh. And then when you see this scene of her saying, we have hope, he again is standing behind her. And in the foreground, you can kind of see the gold robes of that woman. Ah, okay. So I believe Jin is addressing her, and it's, within that battle room still. I got you. On the ship, yeah. That would make sense, yeah. I wasn't sure, cause, yes, like you're saying, they're, they're slicing and dicing this footage and putting it together pretty nicely, uh, but it's it's hard to tell, you know, the, uh, the actual timeline of what we're watching here. Yeah, because then the next scene is on the ship. You know, we see Baze and we see some of the other people and they're responding to something. Yeah. But I don't think it's what we just heard Jen say. I think it's probably some other word to rally the troops. Yeah, we know there's a lot of pep talks going on in this. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're seemingly in agreement with whatever's being said. If you notice, some of them are holding up their blasters like they're ready to fight. Baze kind of does like a half nod and Chariot Imwe smiles. So uh, they're, they're ready for whatever's ahead of them. So this scene now cuts to the words, This December. This then fades into a shot high above the landscape of Scarif. It's almost like a like a crane shot, but much, much higher. 
Uh, we see the beautiful sandy beaches, as we've talked about before. This was uh, filmed in, in the Maldives, in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, we see the, the beaches, the palm trees. There's like some lagoons and tiny islands. But here we also see a very large, gray, almost like a, a tall pyramid-like structure at the center of the frame. Uh, there seems to be some sort of track or trench leading from it, as well as a bunch of smaller gray buildings and towers nearby. Yeah, it almost seems like uh, in the foreground uh, of that trench, where that trench ends coming from that pyramid-like structure, there might be a landing platform there mm -hmm. on the beach. And I'm wondering if that possibly is where that big ship that explodes in one of the battle scenes. I wonder if that's where that might occur, because it seems like a similar area. Yeah, quite possibly. And also I was thinking too, it's been said that Scarif is very valuable to the Empire because this is where the kyber crystals are uh, mined. So there, there's a, a great concentration of these crystals. Of course, the Empire wants it because it's going to power their super laser. And I'm wondering if this large gray structure is like an Imperial base, but also like a mining operation, because we see that large track coming from it to, as you said, a landing pad. And I'm wondering if this is where these crystals are going to be shipped and carted out. Yeah, possibly. So from here, we then see the rebels. They're making their way through the jungle forests of Scarif. In a voiceover, Jin says, they have no idea we're coming. And this cuts to shots of Jin, Cassian, and K2SO infiltrating an Imperial base in disguise. I love all those shots we've seen of the uh, rebel troops going through the tropical desert. It reminds me of, you know, like the Pacific Theater World War II, kind of, mm. or uh, other movies that have portrayed Vietnam or different battles in, in locations like that in the Pacific with palm trees and stuff. And uh, it looks really neat having the troops run through the forest like that. And then, and then like you said, we, we see um, K2SO, Cassian, and Jin in disguise infiltrating this base. And these are the outfits that Jin and Cassian are wearing here that I spotted uh, in very quick clips of that video with the, all the behind-the-scenes footage. Yeah. At, at the very end of that video, there's a bunch of really quick clips when the music speeds up. And in those clips, there are two individuals dressed as they are here fighting stormtroopers. And I thought it might have been, you know, a couple members of this group in disguise. And sure enough, we see them here. He's dressed like an Imperial officer, and I'm not sure what her outfit would be considered to be. It looks like she has a couple batons or something sticking out of the back of her outfit. Yeah, and a very large oh. helmet Yeah, that only oh. reveals her eyes. She almost looks like TIE fighters might get dressed up the way they dress, except, of course, their masks are different. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, what kind of helmet is that? Like an Imperial gunner helmet, almost? Yeah. But with a uh, covering over the, the mouth and nose. Mm -hmm. Maybe she just raided the equipment closet. And of course, K2SO doesn't need a disguise because he is a reprogrammed Imperial Enforcer droid. So, yeah, we've already seen closer shots of him. He has the Empire logo on his shoulder. He automatically blends in anyway. Right. So, we next get a scene of Baze Malbus and Chirrut Imwe positioned at the top of kind of like a craggy rock spire or overlook. And they're watching X-Wings fly past them. And this is at that dark, rainy area where we saw Galen face Orson Krennic, 
we're not really sure where this is at this point, but it is kind of like the, the dark, rainy planet. Mm-hmm. And this cuts to Chariot Imway addressing his fellow rebels on the carrier ship. He says, take hold of this moment. From here, we get a, a shot at, of some rebels on Jeddah. We see that some are humanoid, but we also see that two are, are pale aliens with large black eyes uh, that have two tubes running to breathing apparatuses attached to their faces. Yeah, again, I don't know if this is, they're actually rebels or some kind of resistance group on yeah. Jeddah fighting against the imperial occupation of Jeddah. The one mask that's being worn by the guy on the right is one of the masks they showed really quick in that behind-the-scenes footage when they had a bunch of faces close up that they were showing. Yeah. These guys look pretty neat with their costumes. Yeah, and we know that there will be these, you know, aliens that assist the, the rebels uh, in this. We saw the character Bistan, who's nicknamed Space Monkey. Uh, we know that he's going to be uh, firing some sort of weapon from a, from a ship. Uh, we did see clips of that. And, and just a, a side note about Bistan. Uh, we kind of assumed uh, that Warwick Davis was going to play him. He's that little furry alien that aids the Alliance. Uh, reportedly, Warwick Davis is in the movie, but it's still an undefined role. Uh, Bistan, however, is being played by Nick Kellington. He's a British actor. He primarily acts in children's shows, and most notably, he played Dipsy, the green Teletubby, in the uh, 2015 reboot of Teletubbies. That is a uh, quite a fine resume. <laughs> and uh, just going back to those uh, aliens we saw with the, the masks on, it, it, they almost remind me of, do you remember the Jedi from The Phantom Menace named Plo Koon? He was kind of pinkish in color, but he too had, uh, I think he had black eyes, and he had a similar apparatus with two tubes coming from his mouth. Just reminded me of that. Uh, I, I don't know if they're the same species of alien, or if it's just a, a similar setup where they need this device because of they're not a species native to that planet, so they need help uh, with uh, breathing. <laughs> so anyway, Chirrut Imwe continues his uh, quote here saying, The Force is strong. So the whole quote is, take hold of this moment, the force is strong. So we next get uh, a Chirrut Imwe action scene as he's fighting stormtroopers with his staff. I think we've seen uh, other shots of this scene. His friend Baze Malbus helps out, blasting a line of seven stormtroopers in quick succession. Yeah, he's uh, a very good shot. <laughs> yeah. To uh, rapidly take out seven stormtroopers. Almost like shot them all in the head while not shooting his friend in the foreground. That's uh, that's some trust. Mm-hmm. No offense, but I would not let you do that to me. And this is happening right next to that downed X-wing that we've seen in previous trailers. Baze is standing right in front of it. It's almost as if he may have been the pilot of that crashed X-wing, perhaps. Yeah, not sure. It's definitely there, though. Uh, we quickly cut back to the Rebel Carrier, where Cassian says the line, Make ten men feel like a hundred. Kind of a cut-off line of dialogue. I- I'm assuming he's speaking about the Force. That was my interpretation of the line. That, uh, you know, like, may the Force be with them, and the Force on their side will make ten men feel like a hundred? The Force, or, or maybe just hope, going back to that theme. Having hope, having courage, I don't know. Either way, the odds are very much stacked against them. So we next uh, go back to this dark blue rainy setting. We see X-Wings flying over uh, what looks like burning structures below, bases or outposts or something. And, you know, again, thought this might be Jeddah at night. 
now we don't don't think that that's the case, but we have seen clips here before of Cherit Imway and Bayes Malbus and Bayes firing down at stormtroopers coming out of possibly a transport vehicle or a ship there. Uh, this is also, as we mentioned before, where uh, Galen Urso is maybe being held. It's also rumored at that in this location, this planet, that Darth Vader has uh, some pretty interesting action scenes. Yeah, it has been reported that there would be scenes of Vader fighting in the rain. So the presence of rain here indicates this could be where that happens. Um, we'll see how much of that they show. One of the thoughts that came out of the whole reshoot thing was that they thought that it might have been a little too intense and they were going to tone it down some. Yeah. So I don't know if they'll take away some of what they originally had planned for Vader here. But yeah, we see the X-Wings flying through the atmosphere here. We see TIE fighters firing upon them and one of the X-Wings bursting into flames and plummeting to the ground and crashing and exploding. Yeah, definitely a battle happening here. This might be the final battle of this movie. It seems like it, it could all end here. Yeah, very well, Mike. So uh, cutting back to Scarif, we see Cherit Imway joining the fight on the beach. Kind of stands up from behind the protection of some crates. And firing a blaster, which kind of looks like a, a large bowcaster type of weapon. I know it's not exactly, but it's, it's similar. Uh-huh. And even though, like as we mentioned many times before, he is blind, he does have that force sensitivity that more than makes up for it in his case. And uh, evidently, uh, unless they're just matching shots up again, uh, evidently he is good at firing because we cut to uh, various types of troopers advancing on the beach, stormtroopers, shore troopers, and uh, some are getting hit. So Jin next says, we'll take the next chance. And so from here we see Bodhi Rook kind of in a moment of contemplation, taking cover during this beach battle. And then we see a person who I, I presume is Bodhi kind of running towards a ship during this battle. Yeah, it seems like his jumpsuit and gear that's being worn here looks like he's carrying something, whether it's the plans, if they've retrieved the plans at this point, and he's running back to the ship to take off with them. But yeah, there's like stormtroopers on the left, and there's rebels on the right running through the, the blaster fire trying to get onto the transport. You know, we heard a lot about Bodhi Rook. We saw very early on, he had the Empire logo on his shoulder. He defected from the Empire, kind of was drafted into this. Uh, and so some people weren't really sure where he stands. And I'm wondering if they're kind of just playing on that, showing this scene of him kind of like looking to, you know, kind of thinking to himself, like, what, you know, what am I doing? So I, I don't know, maybe they're trying to plant the seeds of doubt in our minds of where this character actually stands through this movie. I didn't get that at all. I just thought he was trying to gain his composure before uh, risking his life for this mission and possibly losing it. I don't trust Star Wars because uh, <laughs> they fooled us last time. We were talking all about how Finn is going to hold the lightsaber, how Finn is going to be the, the next Jedi, and so I'm expecting something happening. Mm-hmm. So from here we get a scene in space over Scarif as three X-Wings fly over what looks like a big gray ship or space station. It has large beams kind of running across it. And as the X-Wings maneuver, we see one crash into one of these beams. What do you think this is, Paul? It seems like some kind of space station. And it looks like it's over probably Scarif. I see a lot of white clouds and a lot of blue water. So this all might be part of that battle on Scarif. But yeah, it looks like some kind of battle station or space station orbiting the planet that the 
Yeah, it's definitely not a Star Destroyer, and it's like nothing we've seen on the Death Star. This is, has to be something completely different. So this cuts to a rebel pilot in the cockpit of an X-Wing yelling. I'm assuming this is an X-Wing. And uh, then we get another action shot in space as uh, X-Wings fly over the structure. A lot of people are excited for this to see uh, space battles again. We didn't get any of that in The Force Awakens. They were all uh, in atmosphere starship battles. Yeah. And so uh, Jin continues, and the next. So just a continuation of that first line. We'll take the next chance. And the next. So uh, we next get a couple of quick cuts here. We get a large explosion on the ground, taking out some troopers. I'm not sure if this is when Baze Malbus fires down at them. Uh, we also see K2SO piloting, or perhaps firing, in a ship. And also what looks like green blasts coming from... I don't know if this is a parked Imperial shuttle or, or some sort of Imperial ship at night. That looks like the same ship that Bodhi was running toward with the ramp down uh, on Scarif. So I'm wondering if that U-Wing is not their only spacecraft for this movie, or if they switch ships halfway through, whether because the, the U-Wing was destroyed or they didn't have enough room for everyone. But this definitely looks like a different vehicle here. Okay, so this is perhaps that Rebel carrier that we've only seen interior shots of. Mm -hmm. So that green blaster fire may be hitting it rather than coming from it. Uh, it looks like it's coming from it. I do think that these two shots of uh, K2SO at the controls, from what you can see out the window, it doesn't look like he's going anywhere. It looks like he's just hovering, maybe. Mm -hmm. And it looks like the blaster fire is coming from the ship. So perhaps it's an Imperial ship that they took for themselves. Maybe this is the ship that is called Rogue One instead of the U-Wing, because obviously the U-Wing is an, an Imperial ship. At least we don't think it is, but... Perhaps this is an Imperial ship that they took, and Bodhi told them what call sign they could use for it, much like Shuttle Tiderium in Return of the Jedi that the Rebels took to uh, infiltrate and get onto Endor. And that would make sense because, you know, from whom are they going rogue? You know, that ship would be going rogue from the Empire uh, rather than, uh, you know, them <laughs> defying the orders of the Rebels. So that makes uh, a lot more sense. See, we're figuring it out. <laughs> so we cut back to Jin on Yavin 4 saying what I think is, you're rebels, aren't you? What Wasn't I able believe. to make out that line. Is that what you heard? Yeah. Something like that. So this cuts to a shot of uh, the group of rebels standing there. Cassie Nandor is, is in the front. He's kind of half smiling. Now we next get a scene on Jeddah with a huge explosion in the background. Just giant. Uh, right off on the horizon, and as the destruction slowly rises, we see that these rock structures and carved columns in the foreground begin to fall. Also, if you look at the bottom of the frame, it's hard to make out, but there's a person standing there witnessing this destruction. And we only see them from behind, so we can presume that they don't make it out of this scene. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I, I think this person looking at the destruction might be Bodhi. You see dark hair, kind of in a ponytail, and what looks like goggles on top of the head. Oh, really? Okay. So I think this might be Bodhi, and I'm hoping that if it is, his means of escape is right behind him. Because <laughs> um, we have seen those shots of the rebels fleeing what we assume is the destruction of Jetta, you know, flying through what looks like a giant sandstorm almost that's being caused by, we assume, the blast from the Death Star. It is my assumption that at this time, the Death Star is not operating at full capacity. 
and it doesn't entirely destroy the planet. Um, not to the extent, at least, that we saw Alderaan destroyed in A New Hope. And it's quite possible that those shots we've seen in two of the trailers where they're replacing the dish on the Death Star, mm -hmm. that may happen after this. So this was like a test, a test of firepower on the planet of Jeddah. They see it, it's not up to their specifications. They uh, make some alterations and go from there. So that's what my assumption is. Yeah, definitely, because Alderaan was, what, a test at, at full capacity? Is there some line like that in there? Or to test the full power of the space station? It was something to that effect, right? Yeah, something like that. Something that implies that in this movie, when we see it used, it's not at its full power. They, they have not yet recruited Tim Taylor from Home Improvement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... From this scene of the destruction on Jeddah, uh, we cut to a scene on an Imperial base or a ship where we see Krennic standing in the middle of a dark, kind of misty room as Darth Vader enters and walks towards him. Uh, this doesn't look good. Not for Krennic, anyway. Yeah, Vader's walking with some purpose there. <laughs> He's not too happy about something, I'm assuming. And if you notice, the, the door behind Vader is almost like that hexagonal tooth look to it. Uh, it's hard for me to describe it, but you know what I'm talking about? It almost looks like that orb that he sits in, in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Right. So I again... I think that's probably a gate behind him that just opened and he's coming through. Yeah. So it definitely fits that like, you know, we talked about it, that Imperial motif, but the mist being present is also something that we saw in the first teaser with that, well, we think it's a back-to-tank, but we're not sure. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe Vader's the one in there or, you know, because we know it's not, it doesn't look to be anyway, Vader being the one that was approaching it wearing black. So uh, th that's kind of a big mystery of this movie is where all of this fits in and how it connects. And if it even connects to the new trilogy. Yeah. So anyway, in, in voiceover, we next hear Saw Gerrera say, save the rebellion. This cuts uh, to a close-up shot of kind of like a sweaty... Galen Urso, he's on his hands and knees, and he, he looks up at a figure standing next to him. Uh, so he's either, you know, like, sweaty or wet from the rain. I, I think this is on that platform at that rainy, dark planet. Yeah, I think there's rain falling all around them, and probably on that platform that we saw before. Yeah, so that face-to-face -face meeting, something happened where Galen gets hit or something, and he's down on the ground, kind of just looks up. And uh, we, we get a quick cut to Jin standing in the Rebel carrier ship. About the time in the other trailers where she says, may the Force be with us. Right. So again, I'm presuming that this is perhaps before their mission on Scarif. Uh, Saw continues as we cut to him saying, save the dream. So he's, the whole quote, save the rebellion, save the dream. And as we talked about previously, Saw Gerrera is like a, a figure that uh, appeared in Clone Wars and I think he was mentioned in Rebels. So he was... Uh, somebody that resisted the uh, Republic and the Empire going way, way back, kind of formed his own faction to save his home world. So he's been in this fight for a very, very long time. This is a dream that he wants to see continued, even if he's not part of it, which it doesn't seem like he is. Yeah, I, I'm starting to think that he's not going to play a big role in this movie. If you slow down and really watch this very short clip of him here, you can see a lot of dust and debris falling in the room he's 
want it make me wonder what's happening here. We assume this is on Jeddah. Is that explosion from the Death Star happening now? And is it going to claim his life, or is it possibly um, you know that ATST that we saw earlier in the video? Something is causing destruction outside the home, and I'm wondering if he's going to make it out alive. Yeah, it doesn't seem that it's going to be the case. We don't see him on Scarif. We assume because they pick up Chirrut Imway and Baze Malvis on Jeddah and go to Scarif, uh, we don't see any Saw Gerrera on Scarif, so it does not look good for his character. Again, for the third time, I have a bad feeling about this. So from here, we cut to a couple of quick battle shots on Scarif. We see that U-Wing ship flying by those AC-ACT walkers. Very nice uh, additional scene here of that battle. As well as uh, Baze Malbus and Chert Imway fleeing through the jungle on foot as one of the legs of the walkers stepped down, like, right next to them. Yeah, that was a cool shot with uh, the vegetation, you know, being crushed and oil being thrown up in the air. And so uh, from here, we cut to black, then the title, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and then the date, it comes out, December 16th. Or if you're going to see it opening night like me, December 15th. <laughs> All right, Paul, so what do you think? This is most likely our last look at anything from the movie until it comes out. How do you think this is going to play out? We kind of did this last time with Force Awakens, kind of put the story together in our heads, even though we were wrong for some of it. It's still kind of fun just to hypothesize what we're going to see here. Well, like I said, it's my hope that those scenes of Jin, a young Jin, will be in the beginning of the movie rather than flashbacks. So I'm thinking we'll see her father taken by Krennic and the Empire to work on the Death Star. Our first introduction to her as an adult will probably be in custody, in the custody of the Empire, or maybe just before that doing something rebel-like that causes her to be taken into custody. But obviously she's going to be rescued by the rebels, brought to Yavin, recruited to undertake this mission. I think they're going to go to Jeddah first on the U-Wing, her and Cassian and K2SO, and then they're going to get some people there. And then it seems like Scarif will be the next stop, followed by whatever planet that is that is dark and rainy mm -hmm. to try to rescue her father. I think the plan of the Death Star, seems, it seems like Scarif will be the place where they're going to recover them from. You know, we've seen her running on the beach with a blaster in one hand and something in her other hand, and I, I still believe those are the Death Star plans. But I think the, the main purpose of going to that other planet, the, the rainy nighttime one, is to try to rescue her father. And I don't envision many of them surviving this movie, Yeah, which will, will be very interesting to see how they handle that. Obviously, as we've said, none of these characters are in any of the, you know, original trilogy, 4, 5, and 6, other than Vader and Mon Mothma. So they have to explain that somehow. And although this mission will obviously be a success in that they do get the plan and get them transmitted to Leia, the Tantive 4, and, you know, get stuck into R2-D2, mm -hmm. I don't know that many, if any, of this group they put together for this mission are going to make it out alive. Yeah, it's like the, the Star Wars version of Titanic. It's like we're following the story and we just, we, we know what happens, you know, we know the outcome, but we just don't know who lives and who dies. We know that mm -hmm. very few make it. Yeah, but I'm very excited for this 
one. I think for me, uh, I might, if the trailer is a good indication of what this movie is going to be like, I believe I will enjoy it even more than The Force Awakens. Really? You know, I, I had my problems with The Force Awakens. <laughs> I, I thought it had too much humor and stuff. And this one, I think, will have just the right blend. You know, we might have some funny dialogue with K2SO, similar to what we were used to with C3PO. Yeah. And too literal at times or whatever. But I, I think this will have more of a Star Wars feel for me. And I'm looking forward to it being a little bit grittier, you know, seeing a lot of the fighting with the troops, a lot of land battles, base battles. And it seems like there's going to be a lot of action between what we see on Jeddah, Gareth, on that other planet. There's going to be a lot of a lot of stuff going on, and it all looks beautiful. It's nice to see the stormtroopers the way we're used to seeing them, you know, the X-Wings the way we're used to seeing them, just like all that old-school design that we grew up watching, and I have high hopes for this one. Yeah, me too. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's like you said, it seems a little darker and grittier. All indications are from the trailers. That's exactly what we're going to get. From the very beginning, they said that this is going to be a war film, and uh, so... You know, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what we get here. And, like, we've been talking about this whole time. Who makes it out alive? And uh, since I have you on here, Paul, in Star Wars news, it was announced recently that Donald Glover will play the, the young Lando Calrissian in the untitled Han Solo Star Wars anthology film opposite uh, Alden Ironreich, who is playing the young Han Solo. Uh, have you Have you heard about this? Yeah, I did see that. I'm familiar with that actor from uh, The Martian. I'm not sure what else I've seen him in. You talking about that made me think about, I'm in the middle of reading the second Aftermath book, Life Debt, which happens after Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. Kind of sets up The Force Awakens, and one of the characters in this book is an Imperial general named Brendel Hux, and he has a son. So that is probably the Hux that was in The Force Awakens, played by Domhnall Gleeson. Interesting. So, yeah, they're still working on bridging that gap between the two movies of six and seven. So uh, uh, do you know who Donald Glover is from Community? Yes. So what, what do you think about him playing uh, young Lando Calrissian? Um, I'm not sure. I'm more open to it than I am to who they chose to play on Solo, just because I look at him and I think, he doesn't look like Harrison Ford. <laughs> I know it's very tough because you know it's he's not that far in age from Harrison Ford in A New Hope. It's like, well, he's not going to change in appearance that much, you know, because he's not a little kid in this movie. He is a man. He's in his twenties. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting. Yeah, Donald Glover. I think uh, he uh, can convey a lot of humor and charisma, and I think it's a a, a great choice for the young Lando Calrissian. It'd be very interesting to see uh, this story uh it's kind of a, a an odd choice for the next anthology movie i'm not sure how they're going to try to connect it to everything else or where it even takes place between what movies i'm guessing between episode three and rogue one yeah probably i know one thing they said it's going to show is how han solo came to acquire the millennium Falcon. <laughs> it's one of the best characters in the franchise that ship <laughs> we got a lot going on before we even get to that it's it won't even come out until after episode eight anyway so uh, just kind of some interesting tidbits in between 2018 release december no doubt yep 
All right, so just some corrections from last week before we close. Uh, we did a almost three-hour breakdown of the Boston-themed episode of The Simpsons entitled The Town. A great episode. You, you missed that episode of the podcast, Paul. We were just shy of the record. Our, our record is uh, three hours for an episode. You, me, and Hamish breaking down The Force Awakens. This was like 2.58 and change. Very close. So I just wanted to... Uh, list some corrections here. We said that there wasn't any reference to the band Boston, but looking back, I found that there was a Boston UFO on the BCN billboard over the Cumbies. Uh, I also said I wasn't sure if the Swan Boats looked like that, and yeah, they definitely do. Shows you how much I've been on them. And uh, also, this was very exciting. Simpsons executive producer Matt Selman uh, listened to the episode and uh, was giving us corrections as he was listening. So uh, here's the following corrections we got from Matt Selman. He said, uh, Michael Chiklis voiced handsome quarterback. That was the character that looked like Tom Brady. He was uh, the narrator of the Patriots documentary, Do Your Job. And uh, that was part of the line that he says there. So that made sense. Uh, Bill Burr voiced the tunnel townie, as he's called. This was the character that told the Simpsons, you know, move your garbage car and threw iced coffee at them. And uh, also, after Kevin and I mentioned that we've never heard the term grinders being used locally for sandwiches, uh, Matt Selman mentioned that it was used in every pizza place where he grew up in Watertown. So it just might be a very specifically regional thing. So that's what we got so far for corrections. I'm sure there's even more than that, but thank you to all who listened, and especially Matt Selman. Uh, thank you for your support. All right, and that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, things we missed in these trailers, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. And Paul, do you have anything you want to plug? I'm just going to encourage all our listeners to uh, go out and buy tickets to Rogue One as soon as they go on sale. They haven't yet. I saw somewhere online that November 5th might be the first date of the pre-sale, which I believe is this coming Saturday. So I'll encourage you, Scott, to let, let everyone know via Twitter when they can go and pick them up because this is definitely a must-see movie. Yes, very much looking forward to it. Uh, I am on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am also MC and Friends on Vine, which recently it's been announced it is going away. So uh, I am also now on Instagram. My name there is MC underscore and underscore friends. So anyway, you can find me there. Please follow me there. And uh, I'll, I'll be posting a lot of uh, my flip page cartoons, humorous animations, and I have other drawings that uh, people probably haven't seen. I'll, I'll post on there as well. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out. And if you do, you will get a shout out on the show. For Android users, we are available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio and the Google Play Music app, so check us out there. Also, if uh, you have a Roku device, you can download the TuneIn Radio channel. You can set Hitting Play as a favorite, and as these episodes are posted, you can stream them right from your television. Well, we have been Paul and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. May the Force be with you. <laughs>